I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. everyone and welcome to the Dynamics 365 practice show. I'm excited to welcome back Pervin Battelle today. Pervin has been a guest on my Power 365 show when we discuss changes within Dynamics 365 and implications for the Power Apps and Microsoft Flow. If you want to check out that episode, go to nz365guy.com forward slash 48. As many of you know, Pervin is a 20-year veteran in the CRM world and currently works at Microsoft as a Dynamics Influencers and MVP community lead. We move on to a different topic today, and that is the Microsoft MVP program. If you're interested in becoming an MVP, I recommend you turn up the volume, listen in, and tell your colleagues about this episode. But before we kick off, I'd like to talk to you about MapTasker, a Microsoft ISV that uses location intelligence, geospatial data, and artificial intelligence, including satellite and drone imagery. MapTasker allows you to visualize your Dynamics 365 customer and lead data on a map and helps you plan your day, taking into account things like travel times and existing appointments in Outlook. To download a free app, visit maptasker.com. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guide.com forward slash 97. Now, let's listen to the dulcet tones of Pervin Patel. Pervin, welcome to the Dynamics 365 show. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Good, mate. Good. It's good to have you back on the show. You've been on the Power 365 show in the past, but I know there's there's some changes happening across the the MVP community, and I'm hoping that we can just unpack what they look like on the show. But before we get into there, Pervin, can you tell me about the role you play in Microsoft when it comes to the MVP program? Absolutely. My role in terms of the MVP program is I am the overall program product group lead over business applications category. So under business applications covers Dynamics 365, our Power Suite that includes Power BI, Power Apps, as well as Flow. And so when it's a single throat to choke, I am the person that all the CDPs come to and wondering what the MVP program is going on for business. Ah, so that explains those scratch marks I saw last time I saw you. <laughs> yes, some bruises do. <laughs> hey, so the the things you left out there, and I just want to clarify this, you didn't cover things like like mixed reality and the product line that's kind of in dynamics there. What What's happening in that side of things? So there is a bit of overlap across Microsoft. Mixed reality touches several products across the entire Microsoft stack, and the same with artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence exists in an office, a good bit of business applications, all sorts of products. So there's an overall category for mixed reality and for artificial intelligence, while our specific products is still under the, the Dynamics 365 and Power umbrella, and we will certainly be covering mixed reality and AI within those stacks as well. So I guess to kind of elaborate a little bit more on that, in the old world, a lot of what Microsoft, even externally, perception-wise, it was all within the buckets of within this category. So business applications, you were Dynamics 365, and you had no lens to other applications, other products out there. What's changed in recent times across Microsoft is that that case where we have products that are horizontal across all, all of our services. And now we're actually opening up the doors, as you probably noticed, a lot more people coming in that you might not have known in the past as far as your MVP and engagements go. That's why you start to see a lot more people kind of coming to the table because we have a lot more capabilities that will attract a lot more people. Yeah, sounds sounds awesome. So just to unpack slightly, what is the actual MVP program from Microsoft's perspective? The MVP program is to recognize 
our key evangelist contributors, our biggest fans that are out there in the external world. And there's definitely different things and contributions that people can do in order to become an MVP. But the entire framework around those contributions is that it is impactful to the community and essentially not for profit. So you're essentially not you know doing these things because you're making a trillion dollars in, in business for Microsoft. You're doing these things because you care about the community and you want to see the community grow, learn, and become even bigger fans. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And so the area you sit within it is the Microsoft business application space of a wider program that is run and has run for years across Microsoft. Absolutely. And just to give you just the, the scale of numbers of people that are in the MVP program at Microsoft, there's over 3,500 overall MVPs. That's a significant stack. And then I will certainly be honest in saying a good chunk of that lives on the developer side. So the Windows and certainly a little bit on the Office side, but primarily on our Windows and DX stack, that's where a lot of the, the MVPs live and breathe. And within our space in business applications, we have a total of about 350 combined across Dynamics 365, Power, Apps, Flow, and Power BI. Wow. That's quite a bit. That's quite a bit. So two myths I kind of want to dispel. One is that it's you can be awarded as an MVP for life. What's the story there? And you, the only way that you could be an MVP for life is if you contribute for life. Right. So the award is something that's given out annually based on your previous 12 months of contribution. Absolutely. Think of it as almost like uh, reapplying for a job every year. Every, uh, I believe it's March, at the end of March, all the MVPs are then notified that you have to submit your contributions for the past year. And then as part of that entire exercise, when all the contributions are loaded in, I get to spend a good bit of the end of April and most of May going through all the contributions. And we'll certainly go into detail of what that looks like uh, a little bit more, but I just kind of wanted to give the framework. It's it is all about those contributions. So let's just equate that to, let's say, you working and volunteering for a nonprofit. You go out and you build a house for Habitat and Humanities, and, and that's a contribution. You're not making any money from it. You're, you're doing this for the, the overall good of the community. That's the entire intent of the MVP program. Yeah. And, and so it's definitely an individual award, right? There's no such thing as a business being awarded the MVP award. It's a individual contributor, right? Yes. And there's an entire world um, that's in the partner realm that's around the business, and that's the partner circle award. However, an MVP, and once you become an MVP, that is an individual award. Everyone else at your company is still beneath you, and you are much, much better than they are because we've recognized you as an MVP. <laughs> well, I'm a company of one, so that just... Uh... <laughs> well, we do have some MVPs, and I'm just going to throw out names not to you know pick favorites, but let's say Hitachi and PowerObjects. They certainly have multiple people as MVPs within that entire uh, company space. So there's certainly cases where there are multiple people at those locations that are deemed MVPs. But at the end of the day, it's not the partner or who you work for that drives the award status is what you do. Mm -hmm. And the you part is the specific. Yeah. Awesome. So like I've been in the program for a while and, you know, my relationship with you is my fourth one in your role-based title of what you're doing. But why, why are you so passionate about the MVP program from a Microsoft Biz Apps perspective, definitely more than what I've seen in the past from other people that were in your role. What uh, spins your wheels in this area? There's a couple of different things. And I'll kind of, you know, the first one is before I became a Microsoft FTE, I actually was nominated to be an MVP. Wow. Okay. I didn't know this. Hmm. And that's the, that's where the funny part is. If anyone does a cursory search of what I've ever done in the external world, you're not going to find anything just because I'm, a, that good at covering my tracks, but <laughs> me, a lot a lot of that I've worked for is over with company NDA, so it's not like I can go out and actively share, but the people that i worked with in the past, they had certainly recognized some of the cool things that I've built, engineered, dreamed up, and that's what kind of 
started that process for nomination and they're like, oh, well, I'm the nomination. Why don't we just bring you into the fold? And uh, that's what happened. So that's where I initially had, you know, started meeting throughout the various virtual communities out there. You, Andrew, Matt Whitman, uh, Jerry Weinstock, all of them, those are where I kind of started meeting the, the core clan of MVPs have been out there. And then kind of spinning to what number, the second part of what makes me passionate about it. I've always been a fanboy of Microsoft. Even long before I joined Microsoft, I've always worked in Microsoft technologies, even when I've done rollout for Salesforce and Oracle and other big applications out there. It's always been the piece that I've always wanted to work with. And for me, Microsoft has gone through a significant transformation from where the old culture was more around Microsoft versus the community. And what you're starting to see now is that a lot of a big pivot of shift as to we should be trying to foster and grow communities out there. And even, you know, I even said in our last podcast, I went out and apologized because you know, from my standpoint, as I took this role, a larger role in shaping our community or re bringing it back from the dead, is we haven't done a good job on at least on the dynamic side in fostering that community, and that's the the main reason why I'm in this current role now. That's covering MVPs and communities. I want to create those next generation fans, the the raving lunatics, as I even call them. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. So, so talking about this next generation, if someone wants to become an MVP, kind of what do they need to like? Yes, there's a nomination process, and we'll, we'll unpack the changes that happened to that, and and you know, in the last six months. But if someone wanted to become an MVP, what type of things should they start doing today to start, if you like, reading themselves or putting them into a, a position? where either an existing MVP or a Microsoft employee could turn around and vouch for them and make a nomination into the program? What 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 should they be up to? The uh, first thing is you have to, to live and breathe as a fan. And so the first step of that is if you're always to equate that to sports, for anyone to say that they're, let's say, I'm not a very big New England Patriots fan, but you know, there's certainly a large following of Patriots fans outside of New England. So if you were a Patriots fan and you put on a jersey that's got Tom Brady's number on there, does that make you a fan, a raving lunatic, as I call them? Not particularly. It just shows that you're, you know, you're certainly supportive. As a fan, you are completely immersed, rolling back your sleeves and understanding exactly how software or product and service works. And the way that I kind of even look at it is, you know, it's almost like your own little pet or your, or almost something that you have a odd emotional attachment to. And I, when I say odd, it kind of goes back to that pet. And my, my wife does this fantastically. She always looks at some of our pets and gives the, the baby voice. And when you hear, you know, someone talking to their pets with that baby voice, you're like, okay, they really love their pet. And that's the, that's that emotional attachment that I want people that are even considered to be an MVP to have that passion point. So that's the first step is you can't just simply Google your or bend your way to finding some sort of weird documentation that says, oh, if you want to become an MVP, here's how you skate the system. That's never going to work anymore. In fact, that's my entire purpose and why I mentioned that I spend so much time reviewing everyone's contributions because I literally spend almost two to three hours a night in May going through everybody's contributions, either it's listening to podcasts, listening to uh, video blogs, and even all sorts of code. I'll even scan everyone's code that they say is a contribution, load it up, play with it, and kind of examine it and say, wow, that's, that's an interesting thing. Or, oh, I would have done it differently. Maybe we need to have a conversation with them. But those are the things that I want to make sure people realize that we do on our side. It isn't a way for you to kind of game the system, become an MVP. You have to live and breathe it. So it's kind of like, you know, you could always say that you could be the greatest soccer player of all time just because you might be able to do a corner kick. But if you put yourself into a game with real players, 
you know, you want to be able to not only be able to compete with them, but you want to be able to be better than them. And that's the mentality that you have to look for. Nice, nice. So, so what type of contributions are you looking for for some from from a fan? You know, that's a very interesting conversation. I've had this conversation with the old timey guards in the MVP program and the new newer ones too. And at the end of the day, what I'm looking for is any contribution that comes out there that shares passion and an emotional connection to our software. And I, I'm going to kind of give a, a wide smattering of some examples, but it kind of will start painting a picture of what we're kind of looking for. So Eliza Bazitez is a fantastic example. She's, she came to me when she first became an MVP and she said, you know, what do I do to really get noticed? And I said, go out there and put, your, put yourself out there, you know, tell us what's wrong, you know, don't feel like you have to sit and wait for someone's approval to say something. If you see something that you have questions about, or even, you know, you want to poke holes into, feel free to do that. Not, you know, being annoying as she initially thought, that's actually adding value. And from our MVPs, and me, this is coming from my specific lens and my own two cents, but from an MVP standpoint, my expectation is that you will give us honest and transparent feedback, either it's good, bad, critical. We're looking for that feedback at the end of the day. So when you give us feedback, either it's directly through through our various insider programs, even one-on-ones with some of the feature teams, you actually be shocked and surprised how valued that is. Sometimes some people might react a little differently when you say, hey, this product is broken. It's the worst thing of all time. But it's also the changing culture that we here have at Microsoft. I mean, in the past, everyone kind of said we're on the mountaintop and, you know, whatever critical things you might say, we're just not going to believe it. And reality is, you know, for those people that had that viewpoint, well, most likely they're not here at Microsoft anymore because we, we have to start looking at it as, you know, even if we're our leaders, if we're complacent enough to sit on our haunches and say, well, too good to listen to feedback, as critical as it might be, then we've missed the boat. And even more so, we could be actually discounting someone's true feedback and something that we've never even considered before. And a lot of our newer products and capabilities all come from that type of feedback where we've said, hey, we think we've done good. Oh, well, no, we need to really think this over again because we tried this in a real world scenario and it didn't work out. And I think that to us, you know, initially a lot of people would go, oh, well, you know, that's some pretty critical feedback. Maybe we should just ignore it. Well, the reality is if you are spending enough time to, to give us that critical feedback and even show it how it's broken, it's on us to fix it. I mean, putting our heads in the sand does us no good. Yeah, so true. So true. So give us some other examples of things from, a, you know, feedback, you know, positive, negative, et cetera. Awesome. What other type of things though, are you seeing from from a contribution? Let's say, yeah, not what are you looking for, but what are you seeing that you know that you want to see more of, if you like? I really love the video movement and the audio movement that's going on right now. You, Joel, I know a lot of other MVPs, the newer generations, I call them. They're also very interested in how to start off on their own and, and being able to get their voice out there, whether it might be just voice or actually doing video uh, snippets on, on YouTube. And to me, that's actually where I think the, where everything is going to start heading toward and where I'm starting to make a very large push into myself is doing a lot more video webinars. And I'll go into a little bit more separately as to why that, that I think that's going to be an important avenue and, and channel for us. But video blogs, things that actually show how to use our product in not only the general way, but in completely unthought of ways as well. I think a lot of the things that I found that really caught my attention, as well as impressed me, is where I read, read blogs or seen videos where somebody has taken our, our capabilities, our service and software, and turned it into something radically different that nobody has ever even considered. And, and that to me is not only showing that you're a thought leader, but it's actually made it to a point where we started looking at it going, huh, we've never thought that that might be a viable use case scenario if there's a 
thousand people that like his video that, that that person has made, then maybe we should consider that. And so now we're starting to look at it not only from a, hey, that's pretty cool, to, wow, that's pretty cool. He's got a lot of people that like that. That's something that we should start looking at. Yeah. So good. So good. Like I just recently, you know, people are getting their hands on, on PCF, the, the Power App component framework. And I noticed that Andrew Lee, you know, MVP from uh, South Australia, Adelaide there, and he's, you know, already released two videos of concepts that he's built out. And I'm like, already it's sparking like so much interest, you know, on those posts because people are starting to go, wow, okay, if that's possible, what else is possible? And, you know, I particularly think this whole area that we're, we're, where the platform is moving now is are going to allow for a lot of people, if you like, to create micro blogs, videos, things like that, that just show, you know, their tinkering and, you know, advancement or extending the platform. I think it's part of this, as I call it, the YouTube generation out there. And I'm going to take a, a slight sidestep as to trying to describe you know, the, the value and the impact of this, this new generation and all the videos that they're making. So my, our, my family recently has, has adopted three new guinea pigs. We've never had guinea pigs in our entire lives, neither my wife or myself. So we have no idea what we're doing. So of course, this, the, the scenario is, you know, we go into a pet store, the kids, you know, jump up and down. We want this. We want this. And next thing you know, we've got these three guinea pigs and my wife and I look at each other like, oh, what do we do with the guinea pigs? <laughs> so obviously the first thing that we did was we opened up YouTube, type in guinea pigs and started looking at various videos. And we started learning, oh, this is how you can build your own cage from, you know, from scratch rather than buying one. And this is what they eat. And this is how you train them. And these are all coming from just watching videos that are, you know, somewhere between two minutes to 10 minutes long. And now we feel not only empowered to be able to take guinea pigs, but we've discovered an entire community of guinea pig, you know, owners out there. And they, you know, share their, their daily tribulations with their guinea pigs, some of the weird costumes that the guinea pigs are being asked, uh, being put into. And yeah, it gets into kind of a weird area, but that's the easy way to get suddenly plugged in and thrown into a community. And for me, when I kind of looked at it and said, hey, we're kind of missing the mark here in our space in this guinea pig world that I've certainly jumped into. And that's, that to me is, you know, where the contributions are starting to lean toward is the more that we can actually show capabilities that people can then do it themselves and replicate, the more that people will get that emotional attachment to that software. And if, so, you know, it's kind of like also, you know, the description that I give is also when you get a card, you can see a car, it could be a Ferrari, you know, F5, that's, you know, the greatest car out there. But until you actually get into it and then you feel the car engine rev, you're, you don't have that true love. And then you go, oh, I got to have it. And, you know, you do all sorts of other things like, you know, buying the Ferrari gloves and Ferrari gear. And then, then you're like, then you're a super fan. And that's what I want to do. And other contributions, they certainly have merit and they're certainly being used like blog posts and and white papers, and even speaking engagements. But I think in today's generation, the video platform and the audio platform have skyrocketed in terms of usage. And I think that's where I, I see a lot of the contributions starting to lean more towards. Yeah, so true, so true. Definitely seeing that, definitely seeing that, that pivot over the last few years into that space. One of the questions I commonly get is around how long should you be doing X, Y, if we con contributions, before that you should seek nomination? Now, this is like a moving target. You know, it used to be, well, you know, sometimes six months, 12 months, whatever. I'm, I'm, my suggestion nowadays to anybody asking me, I always say, listen, this is a long game, right? This is a marathon that we're in, not, not a sprint. And, and if this is really part of your career and the thing that spin your wheels and you're a true fan, right? You're not a fan for five minutes. You're a fan through the good times, the bad times, the ups, the downs, that type of thing. So I'm saying, listen, commit to two years of contributing hard out and then seek a nomination nowadays, you know, because I just think that that's the kind of level of, I don't know, I'm just seeing 
the contributions that people are doing are all on the increase. You know, it's like everybody's doing more than ever before. The quality of content, you know, you talked about Eliza's videos, top notch, right? She she really thinks them out. And then you see some of these software developers out there, you know, that work around the XRM toolbox and stuff, and they put countless hours, you know, investment into this and then give it away to the community. Do you think that kind of window I'm talking about of around two years of doing something solid is a reasonable time frame for people that perhaps are not necessarily just going out and, you know, writing an app or a bit of software that they're giving away to the community that's having massive impact? What are your thoughts? I can see that as being a guiding principle if you were just to say that to a large audience. You know, two years can certainly be a plan to put into place to get to a level where you can be recognized. And obviously, we know others out there that have, you know, done it quicker. And it's really about that maturity level of being able to show that you are a thought leader versus a follower. I think that's the piece that I, I really want to hone in on is there's a lot of very, very smart people out there that I, I follow that are MVPs. And it's a case where they just need to kind of move away from the passenger seat and into more of a driver's seat role. And from that point, that's when you'll start seeing their level of contributions go through the roof. Eliza is a great example. Of, you know, it was just that quick one-on-one that I had with her and saying, you know, put yourself out there. Don't feel like you're doing something that might be laughed at or, you know, picked apart. Think of it as, hey, this is something cool that you want to do. And regardless of whatever the feedback is, you know, there's going to be all sorts of people that troll, you know, provide, you know, negative comments. At the end of the day, you're always going to find someone that's going to go, oh, that's pretty cool, and start asking more questions. And then suddenly you you have a following and you're like, wow, there's people actually thinking that I'm, I'm smart and, you know, thought-provoking. I think people, the more that they stop thinking about what other people think and more about sharing that passion, that's where they start becoming recognized. Yeah, I love it. And so that's definitely one area that, you know, can certainly be in a good boon. The other is the, as I call it, the Brita, Brita factor. And Brita Rustek is, is one of my favorite stories that I always love to tell anyone internally as well as externally. The, the short summary is Brita, and by, by her own admission, you know, she even told me, she was like, I have no idea how I became an MVP. I have no idea how I'm going to retain an MVP. This is possibly the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. And I just, I, I, I just want to do good. And I was like, well, you became an MVP because you've shown thought leadership. I said, you retain your MVP status by continuing that thought leadership. And the only thing that we ask you to do is just don't stand in the background. Don't look at the rest of the MVPs as, as rock stars. You already are that rock star. So figure out what you need to do to let that rock star come out of you. And so British took that completely to heart. And she actually then started a mentorship. She was like, well, you know, the MVP program and dynamics have given me a career that I had no career path whatsoever. So I want to see other people succeed. And she started mentoring and she's had some amazing, amazing stories, including one lady who is a single mom of two working a day job, working at night as a waitress, and even on food assistance, state food assistance. And within months, Britta was able to pour enough knowledge into her and with this young woman's as, as well, her own desire to, to become someone new or find a new career path. She was able to land a six-figure salary job and literally going from one, in one month, going from state assistance to a six-figure salary is amazing. I mean, I, I sit there and I still, I, I get a little choked up. It's, it's one of those feel-good stories. And she has multiple feel-good stories that she's working with women that have really hard challenges breaking into any sort of career path. And then suddenly, you know, they've discovered a passion within our software products and they have a career path that they can not only leverage, but, you know, grow upon. I think that's what, at the end of the day, to me, that's what an MVP, you know, is, is best at doing is being able to take someone and then just say, you know, you just need to find that inner voice to be able to come out. And once that happens, you'll see amazing, amazing turnaround. 
totally totally and and i mean you know britta's been a massive inspiration to me as well just uh you know what she's achieved and done in that program phenomenal listen all you know those that are listening all these kind of if we're talking about any individuals are going to put links in the show notes but i want to talk about one last rock star before i kind of change gears and that's jerry weinstock right this guy's been around in the dynamic space a very long time much longer than me and and then all of a sudden he goes, I'm going to learn flow. I'm going to become a flow guru. And he does it. He, and, it, you know, he does his pivot and he, and he nails it and he contributes and adds value, phenomenal, you know, content that he's putting out there. And I, I just I, I just think it really, he shows this kind of community that we're in and understanding of technology that you've got to be constantly learning and pivoting, if you like, to where the puck's going. I know it's a famous quote some coach said, you know, don't play where the puck's now, but play where it's going. And I just see with what Jerry's doing, he's playing where that puck's going. You know, Flow has a massive future in Microsoft, as does Power Apps, a power platform, and these type of things. And and it just shows that, he, you know, he he's a star in that respect of making sure he keeps learning and then keeps giving back to the community. Absolutely. Jerry, I've known him for now almost 14 years, and he's, he's certainly, I can say he's a friend, but I, I would certainly agree that he has broken the mantra of, you know, not being an old dog learning new tricks. And, you know, we, we look at Jerry from as long as we, you and I have known him as, you know, core dynamic 365, and to suddenly pull up, a, you know, not only as you know, a new product and capability and services flow, which I'm a huge fan of myself, but to suddenly become a thought leader in that space, I think that's an amazing story. And to me, it's it's almost indicative of the rest of our MVPs and their passion point. I mean, you put something out there, he's now turned flow into his new pet. He's going out and, you know, evangelizing for flow, but not only just for flow, but how flow can also work with Dynamics 365 and vice versa. He's even come on to our channel and he's demonstrated through a couple of webinars of how you can actually take data from Excel, use flow to selectively push them up as Dynamics 365 leads and without having to touch Dynamics whatsoever. And I think that's, that's indicative of, you know, what we're looking for at the end of the day is to be able to suddenly show that you could do things in a totally different way from what you were used to before. And, and that opens up so many different doors. Yeah. Recently, I was in Amsterdam and I spoke to an executive briefing as part of Extreme and the various user group summits. And I knew I had a room full of executives that all owned Dynamics 365 related businesses. That's across the spectrum, whether it was talent, FNO, CE. And, you know, I got full buy-in from the room that they were all in these industries. And then I put up a slide that said Dynamics 365 is dead. And I did it because I wanted to challenge the thinking of building applications and starting with Dynamics as the build platform. And I think that in the last 18 months, there's been this massive transformation that Microsoft have done around app separation. And now with the Power Platform, you can build an app like a first-party app as Dynamics products are. But you can build it directly on the platform. And I wanted to say, you know, so the journey I took that room on was long live the power platform. And of course, conclusion with, you know, the Dynamics 365 suite of products, definitely not dead, but you need to pivot your thinking. You need to kind of pivot where the technology is going and understanding this kind of app separation and what that means for building new software. Now, it created a bit of stir. People, you know, looked at me. I've been, you know, espounding <laughs> the values of, of Dynamics for 16-odd years, you know, absolutely been a fanboy and 100% still am. But I wanted to challenge people's thinking and kind of shock them out of, you know, the Dynamics world because it's like they're not noticing this pivot. And when I was talking with Charles Lamana, even – you know, he was saying he's coming across these same challenges, people not understanding even the difference between, if you like, Canvas and model-driven and how they're all power apps, right? And so tell me, how does that then translate and how does that affect the changes happening in the MVP program and particularly what you're looking for in your future generation of MVPs? And this is going to be a multi-part answer. So I'm going to kind of answer this in, in waves. So to kind of go to the, the big challenge that's been kind of put into my world is for those of us who have been around for a long time, we've all known that Dynamics 365 has operated as a closed box environment. So 
If you're familiar with the term XRM, there's always been that hope and dream that we had years ago that we would be able to build complete applications on the Dynamics 365 platform. So that's still applicable, but what's changed is the platform itself. The platform itself is now driven by power. And where a lot of people are getting confused is they're kind of looking at power as the old platform that used to be the Canvas world. And when I say used to be, it, it hasn't gone away. It's actually expanded and now a horizontal across not only just the Dynamics 365 customer engagement platform, but other applications on that platform stack as well. And we're continually adding more capabilities under CDS, under Power Apps, and Flow to all of our products in Dynamics 365. So when you, <laughs> so kind of spinning to your, your session that you gave in Amsterdam, of course, you know, what usually happens is when something bombastic is set out into the external world, the first thing that happens at no matter time, whatever the day or night it is, I usually get a phone call going, hey, this might be concerning, but Mark Smith's over here is saying that Dynamic 365 is dead. And we're not sure if that's probably the right thing to say. And then the first thing I did was yawn because it was like one o'clock in the morning and saying, okay, I know Mark very well and using that title as to grab someone's attention. And I'm 99.99% sure his entire purpose is to not only get that person to come in and go, okay, what's happening in Dynamics 365, but start talking about this gap that we're starting to discover, or at least a misperception of what Power Apps really is. Power Apps isn't just, you know, for some canvas designer to be able to draw, drag and drop or replicate what Dynamics 365 is. What it's done is it's, it's allowed a lot of the nice, easy, good interfaces and interactions to become visible and usable within the Dynamics 365 stack. So to kind of even backpedal a little bit, some of the biggest things that we've always heard feedback about from the external world is, hey, your forms are really cool and you can do all sorts of nifty things technology-wise and process-wise around them, but Jesus, there's so much white space. Can't you get better designs going? And then we kind of looked at it and saying, okay, well, we'll do this, and we've done this, and we've made minor implementation changes to make it what we thought at least more design-friendly. And reality is what we were just simply doing is we were just shuffling the ball around and playing the shuffleboard game. And until we actually looked at it from a true platform scenario where Charles Lamana owns that entire space and said, you know, what do we need to do to make Dynamics 365 not only viable for a large-scale enterprise solution, but also down to the small and medium business back. You want citizen developers to be able to contribute. And that's what we were missing out on, was being able to take these citizen developers and be able to contribute to the overall enterprise stack. So now that I've explained that entire challenge, is how do we then start encouraging people that are a Canvas designer to, to take their expertise and bring that to the enterprise world. And vice versa, how do we then take the dynamics guys and girls out there that know model-driven scenarios and understand you know, how case management works, how talent works from a process and model standpoint, and then be able to educate the, the campus folks out there. And that's where we see the new battleground and the education space is we need to uh, we being Microsoft, we need to start painting this picture better. That, you know, not only does Power Apps bring a whole world of new capabilities and new options out there for any application, but that you have to understand that there is almost bringing a whole different color palette set to the table. So that's the piece that I need to, I am now taking a, a, a holistic responsibility and trying to educate the masses of what that differentiation is. Because right now, people just look at it as two individual products, not a large application service that has all of these capabilities underneath as a platform. Yeah. So with that pivot that's happening, have you got a focus now that, like I always say, once again, you know, when I'm advising aspiring MVPs is that, you need to follow the money in Microsoft. Like, go look at where they're, where Microsoft is investing. That's where they're going to want to uncover the fans in that space. They're not going to seek fans 
for, you know, Windows 95 because it's a dead, you know, it's, it's history. You know, that doesn't exist anymore. Or, or if we even take a more recent product that might be still in market, if it's kind of like not something where Microsoft's investing going forward, I doubt they're going to be looking for MVPs to, to evangelize it and, and become fans. So when you think of the pivots that are happening now in Microsoft business applications team, and, and as this, you know, this whole new world opens up, what type of fans, if you like, around when we look at the product stack specifically, are you looking for? We're looking for people that want to think outside of the box. I mean, right now, that is the challenge that I'm running into is where everyone has been so siloed, or at least have no true line of sight across all of our applications that we're looking for people that want to break out of that hole. And let's take it from a different technology lens. Let's look at it from a, let's say reporting. Dynamics 365 and reporting, it used to be SS or SSRS. And as painful as I like to say that that has been over the years, that hasn't changed up until recently. And now Power BI is our reporting layer that offers all sorts of goodies, cool things that you can be able to surface up. And the great part about it is you have to know very little in terms of true technology and coding to be able to set up your own dashboard and your own report. It just takes a little bit of elbow grease. So I think that is a fantastic example where you know anyone can certainly be a Power BI expert. And then all they just need to do is to know just enough to be able to connect their data to Dynamics 365 and Power BI. And then suddenly they're a great report writer fan out there that suddenly can come and say, hey, I've cracked the code on how to, you know, show data from Dynamics 365 and Power BI. And they can start showcasing all of the cool things that they've discovered. And that is another option that I want people to start kind of looking at is, you know, our Power BI story has been around for a couple of years now. It started from as even as a startup. And they've certainly done very well as part of the whole data platform category. You know, that's where SQL lives. That's where all of our data services, core DBAs that live out there, those are those type of people. And suddenly you've given them the ability to not only simplify the reporting scenario that exists out there, but be able to take that to other products, not only Dynamics 365, but Excel and all the other applications you see out there. I think there's close to 200 connectors for Power BI, maybe even I'm short selling it's maybe more. But I think that's the piece that people need to start realizing is our products are, are, are talking to each other and it's not within the bigger categories. Another great example is Forms. Forms is a Office 365 product. You have to have a enterprise or a school license, I believe it's like an E2, E3 type equivalent, and you get Forms and you can do surveys. And as, as a big as a fan I am of Forms, I mean, when you're able to create surveys on your phone while you're taking care of you know, your baby and using one thumb, I think that's an amazing story. But then we, are our side, we had an engineering team that says, hey, we want to make forms even cooler. So let's see if we can add in all sorts of additional capabilities. And now uh, we just released Forms Pro in public preview. So you can go out and sign up for it, play with it, and see all the additional things that we've added in there. But I think that's also indicative of what's changed here at Microsoft. You know, it isn't one engineering team that owns this. Now there's multiple engineering teams that have come together and said, hey, I like your product. I'm going to build some cool stuff on top of it. And now we're going to have an even cooler product. And and it's not just, you know, office. It's not just business applications that's doing it. It's us combined as Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is, this is so good. And so there, I think what's happening is a lot of people are still... I, could, I would say even up to two years behind as to what the perception of technology shifting and pivoting here at Microsoft is happening. And I think that's great, but I, the, the challenge or the, the, the big obstacle that I have to get over is to be able to start sharing this story out there to go, hey, you know, when you're a Dynamics 365 person, you're not just Dynamics 365. You're a Microsoft technology stack professional. 
And you should start looking at the other applications out there because you'd be surprised uh, how easy it is to start mashing all of this capabilities and technologies together. Yeah, yeah. So in the power app space, like, are there any numbers that are top of mind around how many how many new MVPs or consideration around that that you're interested in taking on in the uh, coming months and years? Yes. And so let me preface it by explaining how the viewpoint of the power platform is within Microsoft. I believe this is two months ago. Two months ago in an executive SLT review, Satya Nadella has said that Power Platform is the fourth pillar in our cloud strategy. So that's a very impressive statement when you're saying a, a nascent capability and service is now the fundamental you know, pillar of how we're taking the cloud strategy to, to the world. And at first, a lot of people were like, oh, does that mean Dynamics 365 is dead? We're like, no, 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 you're, you're missing it. <laughs> you, I had to throw that one in there for you. <laughs> was Satya listening to my session, was he? <laughs> I, I actually, I even even called it a conspiracy theory or even fake news to that point, but it's, it's not like we're killing off. It's more that people are starting to realize the importance behind that platform. And so to kind of spin that importance even to the next level, Charles Lamana, who is over our entire platform team, he came to us as a general manager to myself and Charles Sterling, and he said, you guys, you know, run the MVP program. You're doing a fantastic job. We have a handful of MVPs and power apps in flow now. I want to get to a thousand. And so there was that, that pause of where Charles and I looked at each other and we we're like, all right, let's do this. It's going to be an uphill battle, but mm-hmm. it, it is possible for us to do this. It's just a matter of we need to start being very prescriptive and under, trying to educate the world of what power covers. It's not just power apps. It's also Dynamics 365. And this also goes into a favorite argument of mine of myself and Charles of fighting over individual MVPs. So Scott DeRoe, we're all big fans of him. He's you know certainly the, one of the stronger developers out there in the, the Dynamics world. And and Charles has taken a shine to Scott, you know, just because of power and the platform and all the cool things Scott does. And so I get a ping from Charles saying, oh, Scott's going to be on this power show. And I was like, no, 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 no. He's, he's mine. Don't touch him. <laughs> it's Dynamics 365. And we have this, you know, funny argument going back and forth. But the reality is, he's both of our MVPs. Yeah. And it kind of rolls up into the bigger Uber category. So at the end of the day, if... Scott is talking about power and all the cool things you can do on power. He's also talking about Dynamics 365. And that's the message I want people to look at is don't look at the the logo in the corner or the name. It's now spanning across all of our technology. So where you can use one here, you should be able to use the same technology on the other side as well. And that's the piece that we're, we, we look at as the, the core description of how, what we need to educate people in order to get to that thousand number. Because what, what will happen is anyone can log into Power Apps right now and sign up free and start creating their own Power App. And once you start even doing some of the tutorials that we're doing, like App in a Day and any of the other templates that exist out there on our site, you'll discover if you are at least a citizen developer, a no-code, low-code type person, you'll, you'll grasp it really quick. And by no means am I saying that it's, you know, simple and straightforward. It's more of it's geared toward that no-code, low-code experience. Now, if it was me, or I even referenced Matt Barber, he even told me this initially too. He's like, first time I tried to create a power app, I sat there and I, I did all this stuff. And then I was sitting there looking at it going, where do I insert my code? This is normally where I insert code to do make it do this. I don't see where I insert code. And I had that same moment too. And I was like, okay, I've dropped a whole bunch of fields on here. And now I want to filter it and make this field required based on this. Other, I, I don't see where I do this. And I usually do this by writing, you know, a snippet of JavaScript and I don't see anywhere. To, where do I do this? So there is going to be a, a learning curve. So any pure developer out there, they're going to look at it and might have that scratching head moment and go, 
don't know what's happening. And it isn't a case where people were we've simplified it so much. It's just a different IDE that people just need to get used to. And the more that we get people used to that entire environment, then they can start seeing, okay, this is how I can then upscale that and add in additional code reference or be able to put in DAX expression to filter, you know, a field or, or things like that. It's just a matter of just changing your view and your perspective. Yeah. So good. Listen, we've, we've run out of time, Perfect. Oh, no. so let, let's jump to some quick questions to some quick fire. What's on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? I have not been to, I haven't been to the Scandinavian countries. So I'm okay. actually yeah. planning to go to Sweden to see our friend Gustav and do a Dynamic 365 Saturday up there, hopefully October, November timeframe. So go up to see the Arctic Circle and, you know, kind of, enjoy the the dead of winter that you would experience out there <laughs> it's a great place it best is. movie of all time it, people will probably be sort of shocked at me saying this but i am a huge fan of rocky and rocky four is actually my favorite movie of all time <laughs> are you a game of thrones fan i have not ever watched the show and i'm not saying that it's not good or is i have three kids so the my ability to consume new <laughs> tv shows is is limited I will say, though, I am a huge Supernatural fan. For those of you who don't know Supernatural, it's the story of two two boys as a family that go around killing monsters and doing all sorts of fun things. But I think it tells a very good story. I watch a lot of shows now that tell good stories. Wicked, wicked. Who do you suggest for the podcast in the future? So let's go with my friend Chuck, Charles Sterling. Charles Sterling. If you want a more bombastic person than I am, then <laughs> Chuck is the person it is. He is, I would even call him, I'm his ebony to his ivory. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Pervin, it's been great to have you on the show. If people want to connect with you online or stalk you, where can they find you? You should start looking in LinkedIn. I'm certainly available there. Don't ping me for employment opportunities, but certainly ping me if you've got questions or want to learn more. Also, other areas, you can certainly start finding me a little bit more on our community site, community.dynamics.com. And if you want to give us any ideas, I am actually the owner of the platform of ideas.dynamics.com and soon to be all the other ideas sites that we have at for Power BI, for Power Apps, and for Flow. All of those ideas are moving on to our common platform for ideas. Hey, thanks again for joining us on the Dynamics 365 show. I'm your host, Business Applications MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 Guy. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 97. If you want to hear more about what it takes to become an MVP, please subscribe to my YouTube channel where I release a video every Monday on becoming an MVP from my point of view. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. Check me out. Uh, I do two shows a week on the podcast. So yeah, give me feedback. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. And if you think I do okay at doing this, please give me an evaluation on iTunes or any of the great podcast apps that you might be using. I will absolutely appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.